Hey friends, thanks for joining us today for episode 5 of Saving Face, a podcast dedicated to breaking the stigma around sharing hard-to-tell stories. I'm Ida, and I'll be your host for the series. For our first season, we're asking eight creatives to dive into some of their most difficult personal experiences, many of which are often rooted in trauma and shame. Throughout each episode, we'll explore the ways these experiences have impacted their work and give our guests the space to reframe these stories as moments of growth, forgiveness, and love. Today, we're speaking with Israel Ramos, a director and photographer currently based in Los Angeles. My name is Israel. I am a photographer, videographer, director, editor, anything with a camera, pretty much. And I'm uh, currently living in Los Angeles, uh, born and raised in San Francisco. Much of Israel's work focuses on capturing live moments, especially in music. These days, he works mostly with Anderson Pack and the Free Nationals, and after touring with them for over three years, the group has become like family to Israel. From tour videos at huge festivals to intimate portraits at home, Israel finds joy in bridging the distance between an artist's public persona and who they are when they let their guard down. I find the building a relationship the most gratifying thing when I'm working with a, an artist. I think it's such a unique opportunity to like love someone's music and them as an artist from a distance. But then when you have the opportunity to be right there close with them and get them comfortable by building a relationship, it translates on camera. It's so fascinating. I love that. And despite his experience in the field now, Israel is still starstruck from time to time. Part of that is due to the sheer visibility of the artists he collaborates with. But a lot of those feelings also come from Israel's relationship with where he's from and the space he grew up in. I was born and raised in the Mission District of San Francisco. It's a predominantly Latino community, or at least it was, not so much anymore after like gentrification. But it's it's still a huge presence, and they, they really try to, to keep that as a part of the, the community. Um, but yeah, so I grew up there. I grew up on a 24th Street, to be specific. They call it the back street, so I'm from the back streets of uh, the mission. Israel described his community as exciting and tight-knit, close in a way that's hard to find in the Bay today. I remember just... Um, it was just really, really, really vibrant, you know. Like, it's, it's, it was so cool. Like, you'd see lowriders, and there'd be people playing music. There's, there's homeless people outside. There's crazy people outside. Um, and the there was a lot. Like where I'm from, it's like, a, so the mission has a bunch of different gangs. They're kind of split up by streets. So there's little like, little subdivisions. So like I said, I'm from the back streets, and the back streets is considered like an area. And within the back streets, there's probably like, I don't know, shit. There's probably like, I don't know. I don't really know how many gangs there were. Everyone knew each other, but definitely some kind of like division. And then um, further up, it was called Frontline. That was Mission, um, Cap Street, Shotwell. Folsom, all out, yeah. So, so there was little divisions, um, but I remember, like the gangs were just 
always, always, always outside of my house. Like, they just took over the block. But it wasn't, like, threatening at all. It was more inviting. Like, I thought they were having so much fun, you know? Like, when the, when the, when the summers were hot, they would be outside like, with water guns and water balloons, just throwing them at each other and, and throwing them at girls that would pass by, and they would just be laughing, and everyone was having a good time. They were drinking, they were playing music so loud and driving around their cars, and I was just like, what the hell? Like, I have to be a part of that. Like, that is just so cool to me. And then at the same time, you knew that they were tough, and you would see shit that would be like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, they're having fun, but this is like, they're serious. From what he tells me, Israel didn't leave his area much. He grew up there, went to elementary and middle school there, and was also planning on going to a high school in the area. But his mom insisted he attend an arts high school in a different neighborhood, one that ultimately would be a huge factor in his career. My experience there, it was like interesting because I... I, it's so funny when I like think back on my childhood because I never left the mission. Like I went to school there, I went to church there, I ate there. Mm-hmm. Like when we would get in the car and go somewhere, it was like an adventure. Um, I really, really didn't really leave until high school. So that's a lot of years of just kind of everything was there. So right when I left for high school, it was like such a shock. I remember I, I wanted to stay in the area for high school, I wanted to go to John O'Connell because that's where all my friends were going. And like, that's where, like, that's where it was cool to go because of like gangs and stuff. And I really wanted Mm. to just be a little badass at John (laughs) O'Connell. And my mom was like, no, either you're going to an art school that's public or we're sending you to a Catholic all boys school. And so when I got into high school, I remember I came back. I was happy to go to an art school, but I remember the first day I came back and I was just like devastated. I was like, mom, there's so many white people. I don't get it. <laughs> and I just wasn't used to seeing a lot of white people. No lie. Like, honestly, that's that was my, it was such a huge shock for me. And I didn't make friends for weeks because I was just so, I don't know how to describe it. That's just what was my reaction. No, I mean, I totally feel that because I went to a predominantly Asian preschool and kindergarten, and then like first grade, I had to go to this Christian scientist school because it's, you know, it's like a good school, it's good education. And I found like one Asian boy on the playground, like my first day, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm here, I'm Ida, but my English wasn't very good. And then like, believe it or not, he was like, oh, like, hi, and then he like walked away from me. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now, I remember I, I remember I was uh, sitting down by myself, and uh, this girl comes up to me. She was a junior. I was a freshman. And she comes up to me, and she was like, hey, you're always by yourself. Like, what's up? Mm. And I was like, hi. And she was, like, so pretty. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and she was like, are you Mexican? And I was like, yeah. She was like, oh, we're all Mexican. We all, ha- all hang out over there. You want to hang out with us? And I was like, oh, my God, yes, please. <laughs> And then that's how I started getting friends. And then I started realizing, like, everyone just in that school was just really mixing together. Right. You know, by the end of it, I was dating a white girl. (laughs) 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 Even though he went to high school outside of his neighborhood, Israel started to get more and more involved with the gangs on his block as he grew up. So, I mean, I got involved pretty much just 
literally through time, just through aging, like, you know, you, you have to walk by them every day. You know, I'd go to school, come back to school. And so I would just say what's up. And then as I got older, mm-hmm. you know, some of my friends got older and they for sure got into the gangs. Mm, right. Just because like they were more like I was I was raised really strictly. Um, so I was always kind of scared of my parents. So I would never I wasn't like a little badass like skipping school or something like that. <laughs> right. But some of my friends that were, you know, they they would hang out later than I would outside and then they would yeah, then they got in by getting like jumped in and really, really they were a part of it. Um for me it was different. I would just affiliated the entire my entire life to this day. Um but yeah, I just would walk by and then they start to get to know your name and and I started getting along with certain certain members of the gang and um then I started hanging out there and then I started uh dressing like them and then you know getting my hair cut like them hanging out there a little bit more often going outside of the neighborhood with them mm-hmm. going back to like middle school I um you know I, I was friends a lot with uh the, the kids my age that were part of the gangs but um I found myself getting having more of a relationship with the older members of the gang um and i was like just because i i just looked at them as like older brothers and i was like no i want to be friends with them you know i want them to think i'm cool i don't care about my my kids my age i want like the older members to think i was cool and when they started calling me by my nickname which is uh sneaks that i was like oh my god you described earlier getting starstruck well like they were the stars to me growing up like it's funny like I've said this before and I just think it's kind of like a funny thing to say but I didn't really care. I didn't really give a fuck about Superman or Spider-Man or Batman or any kind of comic books <laughs> back then I really didn't like I just I was either Pokemon or gang members <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so yeah um I so I started developing relationships with a lot of the older guys um some of them I still am friends with, you know, I just haven't seen them in a while, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, there was this one gang member. Um, he was like the head of the entire Backstreets pretty much. He was like, the, well, at least from what I know, and he was just the most respected out of all of them. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, man, I don't, he was like uh, the epitome of like what I thought was cool. And he would uh, he would never recognize me. He would never acknowledge me. But that changed over time just by me walking by him and saying what's up, and then and then walking more and walking more and just hanging out there a little bit. But he was intimidating, so like I wouldn't, you know, I would never approach him. Mm-hmm. And then I forget how our relationship kind of blossomed into like a little bit closer, but. I remember, I'll never forget, I remember at one point, I was walking down the street and he goes, yo, 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 hey, yo, kid, come here, you, you draw, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yo, I want to make these t-shirts for the homies. And uh, yeah, yeah, here, wait, hold on. He grabs a cardboard box and he grabs like a Sharpie and he starts doing these little designs. He's like, yeah, I want to put the two and the two 
with the sixth because it, it blends all the blocks. You know, it's like 22nd Street, but then there's 26th Street. And then if you look at the two and the six, it's 24th Street. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. I was like, hell yeah, yeah. And then like, I fucking I like learned how to do iron-ons and shit. And I just would some shitty ass fucking t-shirts. But I was like honored that he fucking, oh my God. Like, I remember I, I kept that piece of cardboard and I still think I have it somewhere stashed in a box because mm. I just thought it was the coolest fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I totally get that. It sounds like you really looked up to him growing up. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. A hundred percent. I looked up to him. And um, yeah, like I remember one time he called me by my, oh, no, his friend came over and uh, interrupted me and him talking. And he was like, oh, yo, hey, yo, this is Sneaks. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He fucking knows my name. <laughs> and uh, that's how I, I got in a relationship with him. Like, like that's how I got, came my friendship with him, yeah. Israel's friend, who we'll call Adam for the sake of the podcast, was a real force and presence on 24th Street. He was, like, this tall, dark-skinned. He looked Samoan, but he wasn't. He had like like tall, dark skin. He had like this crazy haircut where it was like almost like a mullet, like short in the front but long in the back. He like looked really, really tough. Like he was intimidating as fuck, you know. And like, but he was also just like um, really funny. He joked around a lot, um, but he just you didn't you didn't want to fuck with him at all. Right, right. So. What happened to your relationship? Where did it go from there? It went through all through high school, you know. We got along. Yeah, we just... It, it all stayed within the street, like within my block. Like mm. I never saw him anywhere else but on my street, literally. Like I never... I, it's funny to think of me even seeing him like anywhere else but there. That's literally where I, I've never seen him anywhere else. But during his sophomore year of high school... Something happened that gave Israel a new perspective. I always noticed that people were out to get him as a, from a young age. I've seen people, I've seen him get into fights all the time. And mm. then I saw him, uh, someone was trying to stab him once across the street. Oh, wow. That was crazy. So I was like, I always knew that something was, something was up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I remember one time me and my dad were... Uh, we're walking out to get some groceries or something. And as we're walking right outside my, my house, I noticed right on the intersection, this car just pulls up right in the middle of the intersection. And he's on the corner. And the guy pulls up in the intersection. Literally, car is running. He just puts the emergency brake on. He gets out and he just starts shooting oh my God. towards my friend. And my dad just ducks, covers me. And he was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. and the guy missed completely and just got in the car and just drove off. Oh, my God. And uh, and everyone was just like, what the fuck? And I remember seeing my friend and his friend go right directly across the street from me into their car. And they go to the back and they just pull out a shotgun. And then, But they're looking around, but the guy left. And then, so they're like, fuck that. So they put it back in the trunk and then they just drive off. That was crazy. That was intense. That was really, really intense. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck? And then I remember I talked to him about it. And he was like, yeah, they missed, though. Ha, 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 making a joke about it. Then um, I think it was my senior year. 
I was at home with my girlfriend at the time. And she was like really nice, proper white girl. <laughs> she was nice. Um, she was not from my neighborhood though. And my sisters went around the corner to uh, Walgreens and like 10 minutes after they left, I heard like a bunch of gunshots. And um, yeah, I I look outside and well, we heard a bunch of gunshots and I saw a, a, like a an acquaintance type friend, but he was from my neighborhood, like ran past me with a gun. And I was like, what the fuck? And I just started freaking out because my sisters went to Walgreens around the corner. Did they walk there? And, yeah, they, they, they walked right by there. And, like, I didn't, you know, anything could happen, like a stray bullet or whatever. Of course, yeah. I remember I ran outside, and my girlfriend ran outside, too. And she, unfortunately, she had to see it. But, yeah, there was two dead bodies just on the corner of my street. And um, I was just freaking out and she was freaking out. And I was like, oh my God, you have to go back inside. You can't be screaming like this. Like, go back inside. Mm. I don't want you to see this. Yeah. I I didn't, I had already seen shit like that. So it wasn't really, it didn't really phase me. But I remember very, very clearly the one thing that I was freaked out about was, oh my God, is it, is it my friend? And I go over there and I look at the guy's face. I, I, I kneel down, I look and it's not him. And I was like relieved. I was like, oh, my God, it's not him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just went, went back inside and tried to calm my girlfriend down. She was not allowed to come over anymore after that by her mom. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, it, it's just crazy to me that my mind state at the time was like, oh, okay, it's not him. It's all good, you know? Like, that's, right. that's weird, but that's how I felt. Yeah, I mean – it's crazy how it seems like in your environment that was happening so much, like to where it's not the fact that it's happened, that it's traumatic, but rather literally the fact that it's not your friend. Like that's the pivotal point for you. Yeah. 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 Cause I had already been noticing that there was something going on. Like people were out to get him. It was very clear. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know how much later after that, but I was at home, and it was nighttime, and I, yeah, I heard gunshots, and I kind of just had, like, this weird feeling, and so I ran out, and uh, it was, it it was, it was him, so that that was kind of, that's where the relationship ended, like, it finally was him, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was... uh, that was crazy. And uh, I remember it was just me and his friend with him. Just, just I don't know, just, I guess, I don't know how to describe it. Just taking it in. I don't know, or reacting to it or just, I don't know how to describe it. But we were just there. And then I look up and a huge crowd started forming around us. And I just remember just looking at everyone's faces and just being like, who the fuck are you guys? Like, Did you know them? People from my neighborhood, it was like all adults and stuff like that, like adults and moms and dads and aunties and shit. And I just was like, it was all such a blur. And then I just remember I just got up and I just like walked away from the crowd and I just was walking towards my house and my dad just sees me and my dad just gives me this look like, oh my God, fuck. Like he knew what happened. Yeah, he knew what happened and he knew like 
that I had just seen that and I just didn't even look at him and I just like walked inside, went inside my room and I just sat there and I didn't really know what to do, but I started writing. I just started writing. It was, it was weird. I, it's, it was really bizarre, but that's what I chose to do. What were you writing? I wrote, I wrote a letter to him. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was weird. It was really weird. Um, yeah, and then I remember I just went to school the next day, like nothing happened. Like my parents didn't really acknowledge it at all. Like nobody ever said like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you? No, my dad never said anything to me about it. My mom didn't even know I saw it. Oh, that's so strange. And yeah, it was really strange because I needed some kind of like comfort, but I didn't get it. And uh, I remember I went to school and I remember uh, I, I didn't talk for like a week. My girlfriend was just kind of like, whoa, what the fuck? I told her what happened, but I just, she was nice enough to just kind of give me my space and just kind of just be there for me. But I remember I didn't speak at all. But I feel like you kind of lost something in that moment, like support or validation that this thing happened and it affected you. And it seems like that wasn't really coming across from any space in your life. No, yeah, it really wasn't. So I just had to deal with it just by, just by, I guess, forcing myself to move on. It was weird. And then I remember when, when it was time for his funeral, I was asking my mom if I, if I can go. And she was just like, absolutely not. But like really stern and like just kind of mean about it. Like, no, no, no. Because she was afraid like that something would happen at the funeral. Yeah. But I remember I was crying. I was crying. I was like, please let me go. And she just wouldn't let me go. And so I never, never went. When we endure traumatic experiences without allowing ourselves time to grieve and process, it can deeply affect us, sometimes leaving long-term effects that we struggle to understand, even years later. For Israel, the sheer volume of loss he experienced in his past is something he's still learning to work through today. After his death, I really kind of took that as a sign like yeah damn if if my hero can can die off these streets and you know so can I you know like it's and I'm not even you know and there's so many friends of mine that I've lost that weren't even affiliated with the gang at all and they got killed as well you know just because they were in just like walk, the neighborhood just walking home yeah just yeah it's so, like a lot of my friends got killed like that so it's just you don't really have to be in a gang. You're just in the area, you know? I feel like that's such a tremendous amount of loss to process at such a formative time in your life. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's crazy, you know? I've lost easily like about 10, 10 or more friends. Yeah, it's been, it's been wild. What are some of the things that have helped you kind of like be able to sit with those feelings and process them and try to move on from them? It feels good when I talk to my best friend because he grew up on the same exact street as me. And he wit he, he witnessed some of the shit that I've seen. And he's lost some of his friends too. And talking to him about our experience really helps me a lot, but it ha it's only him though, him specifically. And um, we both fell in love. We both shared the same passions growing up, you know? So we always were really close. 
and uh, we both fell in love with the camera when we were younger. So my relationship with him and talking about it helps. And then my relationship with the camera and especially that I had a buddy there that loved the same shit that I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That helped me um, like work, work on it, work from it and work past it. Israel and his best friend channeled their energy into capturing the world around them. They fell into making videos and taking photos of peers in the community, documenting their lives while turning to their art for healing. He got really, really good at like street photography. So he would shoot like crazy shit. Like, like he would go up in front of people's faces like crackheads and take like these amazing photos. I didn't mean to say crackheads, but <sighs> sorry. That was rude. Um he would go and take pictures of anyone and everything and really raw and gritty. And I just, I think for him, I can't speak on him, but I think that's what helped him out. Cause he, he went through some shit too. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that we would start to make like music videos for like the rappers and in, in the neighborhood and stuff. Taking photos of my friends were just really cool. And just, just knowing that I could like, it was mainly like like photos were cool, but I, the video aspect is what really I thought was fucking really cool. Like, so you're saying like I can record this and then record something else and then put it together and put a cool sound behind it and then show it to people and people will love it. Like that's it was really rewarding. Israel had always filmed things for fun as a kid. We'd grab my dad's camcorder and just like film like stupid skits. His parents supported his craft and got him a new camera. But after his friend got a DSLR and started taking photography more seriously, Israel was inspired to do the same. And then I I remember I switched over to DSLR and I taught myself all manual. Um, And that's when I was like, this is for sure what the fuck I want to do. 100%. There's no going back. Like, this is what I want. Israel's passion for the visual arts eventually helped him find opportunities beyond the mission. One summer, he even went to Australia with his high school, a summer that played a pivotal role in his ultimate decision to leave the Bay. I got one of those like letters in the mail like from this program, ambassador, student ambassador program called People to People. And it's kind of funny because it's kind of like a, it's a low-key like a money scheme, but I fell for it, but it changed my life for the positive, so it was totally worth it. But they definitely were fucking taking hell of money away from my parents. After participating in the student ambassador program, Israel ended up studying abroad his junior year of college, too, ultimately staying for two whole years before coming back to the mission. And that was completely life-changing, you know? From from just being in my neighborhood to just going to fucking Australia, like, that was crazy. So, yeah, when I came back, I just realized, you know, I should probably move to L.A. And then when I got into college, I kind of just... Um, you know, I just stayed in the neighborhood, stayed in the neighborhood. And then after college, that's when I kind of realized, like, okay, like, I want to, I really want to pursue video work. So what was kind of, like, the defining factor that really made you decide to leave? Like, was there something in particular? Well, I lost the, me and my friend Danny, my best friend, we both had this, uh, we both had a really close relationship with this kid from my neighborhood. He was a little badass and 
we just loved him. He was just, he was cooler than we were, and he was like fucking nine years old, ten years old, and he was cooler than we were. And he grew he grew up, and we grew up with as well. And we were always looking after him, you know. He would always be getting into trouble, and we'd try to get him out of trouble, but he just couldn't learn any better. And I remember I would give him like books to read, and I gave him like a rhyming dictionary because he wanted to rap, and I'd give him like markers because he wanted to draw, and we would shoot him and. It was just really cool, you know, and uh, me and my friend Danny were just always aware that he was in trouble, like always getting into trouble. Mm -hmm. And we kind of like, I don't remember clearly, but I I think we like made like a, like a decision, like we're really going to help him out. Um, And unfortunately, he fell victim to gang violence as well. And so when I got the call that he had died, I just was completely shattered more shattered than when my other friend died because this he was just a kid you know yeah and he was so young he was so young and so when when he passed away that was that was like when I was just angry and I was like I need to get the fuck out of here and Israel did end up moving to LA which is where he lives now as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast he still keeps his roots close though especially his young friend who passed away and we're, like everything that I do now, like I, I kind of like have his memory, you know, with me. Like I'm doing it like with him and for him type type of energy. The mission and all of Israel's personal experiences in the space are things that he'll carry for the rest of his life. He's grateful to his neighborhood for everything it's taught him and for the relationships he'll never forget. Now, Israel's dedicated to finding ways to give back to his community like creating programs for local youth to get them involved in the arts. A lot of my community didn't leave. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, what happens sometimes is that a lot of kids who grow up in those communities and they get stuck there for a little too long or they get too into the affiliations or they do get into a gang or do get into drugs, you know, Sometimes it's it's harder the longer you stay there because you you might have a realization later on in your life, but by then you're like, fuck, you know, you're past 18 and you're like, like it's a it's a lot harder. Um, so I know a lot of friends that, you know, when I go back, um, like this one friend of mine, he was like, oh man, but he was a lot younger than me. He's like, oh snakes, man. Dude, I just got a job, man. He's like, yeah, look at my uniform. And he's like proud to show me his uniform. And I was just like so happy for him, you know? It's like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm legit happy, you know? Like, good for you, man. Like, fuck yeah. And I like that, that they don't look at me like, oh man, look at you, like fucking too good, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, they're like, they're happy for me. And they're like excited to show me that they're, they're doing good for themselves too which means a lot. Yeah, I think that's such a great, healthy relationship to develop because it can be hard, right, in those dynamics because it's really easy for it to turn bitter or sour. Exactly, yeah. So I'm really happy that I still have that relationship. You know, every time I go back to my neighborhood, I get respect, um, which feels amazing. I get respect for, like, the younger kids. I get respect from the older older gang members. I remember... uh, I went to a local bar a couple years ago, um, and 
I saw an older gang member, uh, like a homie from uh, sitting across the bar. So I kind of went over there to, to kind of like check in, you know, let him know that I'm back for a while for the holidays or whatever. And I remember he was like, oh, look at you, Mr. Hollywood. And I was like, oh, man, no, I didn't even like that. He was like, man, you're doing good, though, man. He's like, that's good for you, bro. He's like, we're really we're all really happy for you. You really made it out, bro. Like you made it out, man. And I was like, yeah, man. And then I was like, but like, there's got to be something else I can do, though. And so we like briefly started talking about some ideas of what I can do, but never went to fruition. But I still hold on to those ideas. I still want to do something for my community. One hundred percent. Like, I would love to start a program um, for, like, I don't know, for the neighborhood or I don't know if it'd be for a neighborhood or for, like, a local high school or something, but a program where, like, you know, you give the whole class disposable cameras and you tell them to go out and shoot and then you report back and you develop them and then you talk about what you shot and then teach them about about what they shot and composition and everything, you know. I think that'd be a really cool idea. Because I went through, I went to something like that, and oh shit, I just had a realization. I did go to this community. It's called Youth Speaks, where you did, where you did, you do poetry, and so right. And in that program, there was all kids from my neighborhood or from like other neighborhoods, like the Fillmore, more black neighborhoods, and we would all come together and we'd all do poetry. And a lot of the poetry was people talking about their traumatic events and so I finally I, I was like oh my god like okay so I'm not alone so I can't I completely missed over that but yeah that helped a lot thinking about the letter that Israel wrote after his friend Adam had passed away in high school I wonder if he ever did talk to his parents about what had happened if Israel had ever received the acknowledgement he was looking for back then do you did you ever feel like you kind of resolve things with your parents about Adam's death? Um, in a way, it was really interesting, you know. Um, I was on my way. They were My parents were dropping me off to go, like, on a two-month tour to Europe for Anderson Pack. And I remember my mom, as we were pulling up to the airport, I remember her making some kind of remark, like, saying, Uh, Like, she was very proud of me. She's like, look at you. You're about to go to Europe for two months. We've never even been there. Like, we raised you right. And she was like, I'm so happy that you didn't have to go through any any shit as a kid, like, especially where where you grew up. And I was like, "Um, mom? (laughs) And I remember my dad looking back at me. And it was like, it all came full circle. Like my dad looked at me because he remembered that one incident and all those incidents that that they were aware of. And I was like, mom, you, do you know how much shit I've seen in that neighborhood? I was like, I told her about that one story and she just felt so bad. She was like, I didn't know that you fucking saw it. I didn't know that you were with him. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, that doesn't change where I'm at today, does it? Like, you're right. I still am here, but... I actually did go through hella shit and I still am here, you know? Yeah, I think it's so crazy that this one area of your life has just carried so much. Dude, it's, yeah, it's, it literally is, dude, it's so funny. That's like, it's what, it's literally who I am. It's literally what made me, you know? Like when people, if you ask friends, if you ask 
like if you ask my friends, one of the descriptions that they'll say is like, oh yeah, he's from the mission. Like that's that's how people describe me, you know? Yeah, of course. And I feel like that is one of the best ways to describe you. Yeah. Well, I guess to wrap things all up, what would you say are some of the lessons that you take from your upbringing and the vibrancy and intense experiences of where you're from? Oh, man, that's a heavy question. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny because, like, that's the lessons. I don't know. It's just my life, you know. I just <laughs> how to carry myself. Um, yeah, I guess I, I just make. I think you have to, like, make situations better for yourself mm-hmm. in the end, you know. Yeah. It might be hard, but. You really have to fight for yourself, you know, whether that be like mentally, physically, career-wise, whatever. But that's that's what I learned, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great last takeaway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was an honor to share so much story with you. And thank you again for being so open with everything. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate the space. I think this is a... It's a great thing that you're doing, and this is a really great series. And, uh, yeah, just thank you for having me. Thank you all again, as always, for tuning in to the fifth episode of Saving Face. I hope that you all enjoyed Israel's openness and vulnerability as much as I did. I'm Ida, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Saving Face is brought to you by Newfly Magazine. We'd like to give a special thank you and shout out to Matt Hong, our audio engineer, for making the soundscape for each of our episodes. I'd also like to thank Belinda Mann, who's helped co-produce the series with me, as well as Daniel Fung, who has put together our cover art for each episode. And of course, we'd like to thank our wonderful guests for having the courage and openness to share their stories. Thank you so much for listening.